All right, if you get out a Bible, please, we'll be in the letter of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 to 11. We saw the introduction to this new section, that is chapters 12 to 14 last week, and the main point there is Jesus is Lord, and so we can look at 2020 and say thanks. He's a good Lord. He has designed 2020 for you, and I see your Facebook post grumbling about 2020, so I thought I'd take a shot at that right away. Jesus is Lord in 2020, and even more so, you're grumbling about snow. He's Lord. Just say thanks. That's what he wants. So Jesus is king. He's ordained it all. And he has ordained you being here in this church. He has made you a part of this body. And he has given you talents and gifts and abilities and places and times to use them right here, right now, for the good of each other so that we could become more like Jesus. So that's what you should do with 2020. That's, that's what you should do with 2020. You shouldn't look at it as a year to endure, but as an opportunity that the Lord Jesus has given you to use what he has given you, to use what he is strengthening you to help other people become more like Jesus. That's what 2020 is for. That's the whole purpose of it. Opportunity. That's what it's for. And how uh, better opportunities. Like, look at what 2020, all of the opportunities, all of the plethora of opportunities he has given you because of all the needs that people have for you to help. That's what it's for. And so that's what we're going to look at today. And and we're going to look at the view he has given you of other believers. Let's read these verses. I'm going to read verses uh, 4 to 11. Now, Paul usually uses now here in this letter to just signify a, a bit of a shift. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith is, or faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Let's pray. God, how can we keep our way only by guarding it according to your word? So teach us to do that in light of your teaching on gifts here. Teach us to seek this with our whole heart, that we might not wander from it. And so God, teach us to bless you, to praise you as you do teach us these things. Help us to meditate now, to fix our eyes on your ways, 
and to delight our hearts in them that we might not forget them. In Jesus' name, amen. This text is given because of division as we've been looking at in this church. Um, The church is often likened to as our mother. Christ is our father, and the church is the mother that nurtures and cares for and grows us up so that we might be useful in the word or in the world. And so it's an awful thing when we treat her with, uh, so poorly, is what they're doing here. They're really shameful in their treatment of their spiritual mother. They gossip, they malign, they slander, they divide. The kids do in the church. And so they kind of bring reproach on their mother in the world by how they treat her and by treating each other. Now, some of us do that. We think very little of the church. We attend her from time to time. Um, We treat the children that the mother loves very well, sometimes less so. And so this text is given to help us not do that. It's given to help us love our mother. And even completely pagan, godless people love mom. The most vile rappers create songs loving mom. Everybody knows how you should love mom. That's what this text is for. It's given to you to love our mother, the church, and each other. That's exactly what it's for. It's given you to help you grow an affection for the other siblings you have by teaching you how to view them by teaching you to renew your mind and how you look at and think about and feel towards your other siblings, the ones the father has brought into the family and the one the mother is nursing or maybe cutting up meat or maybe letting them eat them by themselves finally. It's teaching you how to view each other, how to view each other as God views So verses 4 to 6 set the stage, make the main point. There is great diversity in the church, but there's unity because we have one God. We have one God giving all of the abilities and gifts to use in the church. That thesis then is restated in verse 7. It's it's just laid out very plainly in verse 7. So verse 7 is kind of the, the most important verse in this section. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each, every believer has a gift given for a specific purpose, for the common good of the church. Examples of that done by the one spirit. Then in verses 8 to 10, you have several examples of that thesis. So the, sometimes we want to make the main point of these verses, the gifts. What are they? What is tongues? What is prophecy? Which one's more important? Right, we want to argue about the examples, but the examples are there just to illustrate the main point. The main point is God has given great diversity of gifts in the church to be used for the common good. And here's some examples. And then it's summed up in verse 11 by restating the thesis before Paul moves on to his main example of the body. So the purpose of this is to draw all of our attention to two things, which I think are very evident. This won't be new to you. And yet we need these kind of reminders. The two things are, 
there's great diversity of abilities, talents, ministry, service in the church. Just look around. You have it in your own home. And yet, the source of these is all God. There's unity in the source and there's unity in the purpose. So diversity and unity. I know that phrase is worn. Probably heard it a lot. But it's true. We have one God who makes us all different so we might build up the church together. That's it. So let's just start maybe on the bigger level. Let's just look at some principles um, five of them I have from this text that teach us about gifts. But first, just a few mistakes. One mistake is navel-gazing. You can get really obsessed with what my gift is. What's my gift? What's my gift? I want to take a test and discover my gifts. I started getting into the ministry in the late 90s, early 2000s when it was all the rage to take spiritual gift inventories. How many of you took a spiritual gift test? Come on, raise it up. Look at that. Crazy. How many didn't? I love you. One of the, it's it's fine to understand your spiritual gifts, but I think the spiritual gift inventory are itself based on a misunderstanding of what he's trying to do here. It just obsessed everybody with what their gift is and sometimes paralyzed people to not serve until they figured out their gift. That can be a mistake you make. A second mistake, and the one being made here, is to so admire your own gifts and abilities and talents and your viewpoint as to begin to look down on everybody else and wish everybody else was like you. And I'm glad that nobody at this church has this problem. All the other churches in Rhinelander have this problem, but not Pine Grove. We are the church of all churches. Um, And you should probably share that quote on Facebook a lot to make sure that all the other people and all the other churches realize what they're missing by not being here. Now, we all do this, don't we? If only everybody was like you. If only your wife would see your point. If only your husband would see your point. If only the other members would understand what I understand, then they would attain to the spiritual enlightenment and the place of prominence that I have attained to. That's what they're doing. And the gift that they elevated above all others was tongues. Which, as I said last week, they were taking from their pagan background of worship of pagan idols where the height of spiritual ascendancy was to go to this ecstatic place of spiritual enlightenment where they would begin to speak in gibberish. That was the height of spirituality in pagan worship. And that was imported in to their understanding of the church. I'm not here yet saying that tongues are nothing in the church, but just how they understood them, the place of prominence they understood them came. So they wanted uniformity. That's a big thing in our world, isn't it? We don't want unity in our world. We want uniformity. The pressure isn't for everyone to be unified. The pressure is for everybody to be the same. That's why people get tattoos. They want to show how different they are by showing how the same they are to everybody else getting a tattoo. We want to be the same. We want uniformity. That's what they wanted here. They had an inability to appreciate the God-given diversity of the gifts and abilities and services, and so they were dividing. 
And so we struggle to love. That's why chapter 13 is all about defining love. Chapter 13, uh, which Pastor Jeff and I think is going to preach, the whole purpose of it there was as a rebuke to the selfishness of the Corinthian church. It wasn't written there necessarily to be read at um, weddings. Well, that's the context we mostly have it in. It was there to say, you're to love each other, and oh, by the way, you're awful at it. <laughs> love is patient. You're not. Love is kind. You're rude. Helping to define love. And so the point of this passage is to show all the various diversities from the one God given for the main purpose of building up the church. So let me summarize then five principles, five ways of looking at the gifting. I've already said one of them, diversity. Look at verses four to six. Variety, variety, variety. Variety and diversity in the gifts. There's three terms. There's a variety of gifts in verse four. There's a variety of service in verse five. There's a variety of activities in verse six. Those terms, gifts, service, varieties, are synonymous. I think sometimes when we think about the term spiritual gift, we have a very narrow understanding of it. It means some God-given spiritual, likely more supernatural gift that I have and that I have kind of for life. That isn't the point. The point is service in the church. Think of spiritual gifts like that. Think of the spiritual gift of nursery worker. Think of the spiritual gift of piano player. Think of the spiritual gift of electrician. Think of the spiritual gift of garbage taker outer. It's just service in the church. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about opportunities that God brings for you and some of you have skills and abilities given by God's spirit and the opportunity to use them that he empowers you to do whatever needs done. But there's a great diversity of that. So this encompasses all the talents, all the abilities, all the acts of service and ministries and activities all around you. And so God gives this. It's really wonderful. The diversity. That's the first one. You see this in your kids, right? Now, you don't have to do anything and they're very different from each other. Different in the things they enjoy, different in the ways of going out about things, different in the skills and talents and abilities they have. It's really a wonderful thing. And so your church is a microcosm of the, or your home is a microcosm of the church. Second, so that's first diversity. Second is given to each one. In verse 7, to each is given. In verse 11, these, all these things are empowered by one of the same spirit of portions to each. And so there was a saying back in those 90s, early 2000s, each one has one. Every believer has been given abilities and services and activities to serve. So after dinner at the VG home, we typically divide up a few chores. Somebody's going to clear the table. Somebody's going to rinse the dishes and put them in the dishwasher. Somebody's going to actually hand wash the dishes that don't go in the dishwasher. Somebody's going to put away the Bibles. Somebody's going to vacuum the floor, and then we usually run out of because we have more kids than those, so then somebody's going to organize the entryway and pick up the living room and any other various gifts, depending on our level of irritation as parents that we want our kids to do at that moment. 
That's what the church is. There's opportunities to serve, and we do them. And God has given you what you need. And look at this individual. I love that in verse 11. It, it, it speaks to the care of God for each of us. The usefulness with which God views each of you in the church. And if you are somebody who believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, made man, that he died in your place for your sins and rose from the dead and reigns everlastingly over all things, then God's Spirit has come to dwell within you and he is talking about you here. He is speaking about you here. Later on in verses 12 to 31, one of the mistakes that we can make is that is to say, I'm not needed here. I don't have gifts like this person, so I'm just not needed. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. Every person is absolutely important in the church because God in heaven above has put you in the church sent his son to die for you, filled you with his own Holy Spirit, and makes you useful. The, 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 the point is it's different. And, and we often equate different with unimportant. If I don't preach, if I don't sing, if I don't have an official title, and most of the work I do is at home with my kids, or most of the work I do is praying and nobody else sees it, or my work is to build a business and generate a lot of wealth so that I can support ministry and support missionaries and whatever, then I must not be important. Because we so spiritualize these gifts that we think unless there's something significant vocational ministry going on where you have a title and make money by it, then it's just not important in the church. And it couldn't be further from the truth. One other thing I want to make here. Look at verse 9. What do, you, what do you think strange about his wording of the gifts of healing there? What do you often just read it to understand? Don't you just read it to, me, to mean the gift of healing? It, it's plural though. See that? It doesn't say the gift of healing. It says gifts of healing. What's the difference? Well, it doesn't. It appears that no one has the gift of healing. He didn't distribute a single gift to a single person who just has that gift. Instead, there may be an opportunity or time where somebody that you're around is, has a physical ailment or an injury and God might grant you by His Spirit the ability there, for whatever reason, to pray or to believe God for healing, and God gives a gift of healing at that time that isn't yours forevermore. It's just opportunity-based. It's based on the specific time and opportunity that God has given, and you pray in faith or you believe in God for healing, and God provides it. And it, it isn't something that you take with you. It's for that moment. And so gifts are given as needed often, as opportunity avails itself. They're case-specific. And that's what he gives when you're in that moment, having that opportunity. You might say, I don't have the gift of healing. I can't pray for that person's healing. 
you misunderstand the verse. He's going to use you. It's odd. Nobody thinks they have the spiritual gift of wiping down the sink. But there it is. I don't know what to say to the person grieving. Just go there. God will surprise you. I hope that gives you encouragement. So first, diversity. Second, given to each one. Third, distributed by the Spirit as He wills. You don't have these things lying around dormant inside of you and they just need to be drawn out. They are from God. Christ obtained them in his death and resurrection. The Spirit owns them all and gives them to you as he sees fit. So another word for gift in the Bible is grace. In Ephesians 4, he distributes grace. So we understand typically grace to mean God's undeserved favor that saves us. That's true, and thank God for it. Another way that the Bible uses the term grace is the giving of abilities and ministries and activities to serve each other. It's a gift. It's His. He gives it to you. He strengthens you. He works it in you. And you'll notice how the language of God's absolute control and sovereignty over these things is on these verses. In verse 7, to each is given In verse 11, it's even stronger. All these are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each as he wills. So this is really important because sometimes we can kind of view ourselves as in control of who does what in the church. That maybe the pastors and elders view themselves as the men behind the curtain, you know, pulling all the levers and making sure this person's doing that but not that and and so on. It's actually Jesus through his spirit who's in charge of these things. He's completely sovereign over them. And so God arranges the members in verse 18 as he chooses. So he's completely sovereign over this. I find this so wonderful. He has put you here and he intends to use you here as he determines here. And as you're used here, doing whatever bigger little thing you're doing. Who did the coffee this morning? Who put it out there? Claire did. That, that was a spirit-empowered gift of activity in the church. God willed that for you and used you for it. Isn't that wonderful? That the, the God on high did that. And whatever else he's doing here, isn't that wonderful to think that our great God, this all-powerful, all-seeing, all-holy, all-wise God would do that for chumps like us. And I was, in my previous church, our associate pastor would often chuckle and say, I can't believe God uses jokers like us. It's true. Isn't it wonderful? So first, diversity. Second, each one is given some, and it's all according to God's um, sovereign will. And then fourth is kind of a sub-point of three, but I wanted to draw it out. These gifts are worked in us by the same Spirit. Not only are they given, but they're empowered. In Ephesians 3, verse 7, Paul says that he was given gifts by the grace of God, which he, God, works powerfully in him. 
Remember in John 15 when Jesus is talking about us bearing fruit. He likened himself as to the vine and we're branches. And unless we abide in him, we can bear no fruit. For, for apart from him, we can do nothing. Sometimes we can mistake activity for fruitfulness. That is, I'm just doing stuff, just doing stuff. But God has to empower. God has to bear the fruit. I think this is tied all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2, by the way, of God giving us dominion over the earth to bear fruit, to be fruitful. It is God who empowers that. And so this is a, a call to prayer, a call to realize that Really, apart from him, I can't do anything of eternal significance, anything of spiritual good, anything that is actually going to turn out for great good apart from him. And so he gets all the glory then. This is to humble our pride. You don't have the gifts, and when he gives them, you don't have the strength to use them. He gives both. It's also to show the abundance of God. God is not stingy. He's very generous. So diversity... To each, he gives and he works by his power. And then fifth is the purpose. I think probably the most important um, four words in this section is the last four words, or are the last four words of verse 7. For the common good. One of the ways, or one of... You know, one of the ways we struggle with our flesh is to do what is good and right, but to do them for wrong purposes. We don't see people as beloved children of God to spend what he's given us for their sake and that's it. We see them as means to serve us. We serve people so that they'll serve us. We we use people. We use people. We, we, we might even do great activity with great devotion, but, but not for them and not for Christ, but for ourselves. Maybe it's to get applause, to be seen as important. Maybe it's to control them. Maybe it's to get something out of them. God's love, holy love, real love isn't coercive. It doesn't manipulate. It loves the person for their sake, to the glory of God. It, it sees that person as Christ is here seeing them. As somebody saved by God, filled with his spirit, intending to use you for their good, to build them up to become more like Jesus. And so this is our purpose, actually. One of the main problems in our world today is purposelessness. We don't know why we're here. Our world has convinced us that we're the result of just material activity in the universe. There's nothing purposeful about it. And when we die, we'll just go back into the cosmic material goo. We don't really have an objective right or wrong. It's just whatever feels good, whatever you determine is good. And so there's great purposelessness in our world. It's despairing. 
It's awful. But we, we actually do have great purpose. You were put here for the good of others. I think moms get this really well because you can't have a child without shedding blood and dying. You can't nurse late at night without dying to yourself. Fathers can get this too, but it just seems to come more natural with mothers. You are here for the good of each other. We talk about this in singing a lot. In Ephesians 4 and Colossians 5, I think, we are to sing to encourage each other for the good of each other. So the point is, whatever you're doing, not doing it for my applause, not doing it for riot recognition, not doing it to get somebody to do something to me, just to build up the church by building up the other. And there's really limitless abilities here, limitless opportunities here. <clears throat> Older women are to help the younger women love their husbands, be content at home, that's a good that older women are for in the church. Older men are to love God and use all of the wisdom God has given them to lead and rule and protect the church, provided they have the spiritual maturity and, and qualifications for it. Right? You're absolutely needed here. We, we are here to do great good for each other. Golly, I'm running out of time. I was going to go through all the spiritual gifts here mentioned. I think we'll get to it next week. And that's probably going to be disappointing you because that's really where the fireworks are. Talk about prophecy and tongues. I'm not punting. I got two pages of it. And we're going to have to put them off till next week. Let me just do this. <clears throat> um, you are, you know what's going through my head right now? I'm really proud of myself for just punting those off to next week and not just going right through them. <laughs> so silly. Um, what I want to communicate to you is how needful you are in the church, in this church. Uh, God has set you here of his sovereign will, has filled you with the Spirit and given you what you've needed. And what I want to do is Let's conclude with contentment. Uh, one of the great sins among God's people is just discontentment. It's, it's never enough what God has given you. I want more. I'm not content with the place I have in the church, the position I have in the church, the activities I have been given to be a part of in the church. I want more. I believe a main reason for chapters 12 to 14 is that this sin was very prevalent in the church of Corinth. People were discontent with their own gifts. They were discontent with the gifts of others. And I, one of the reasons I think it's really helpful to preach the 1 Corinthians because 1 Corinthians is very applicable to us in our time and place. It's just like our world. What is our world teaching us to be but discontent? Just discontent. Discontent at work, 
you don't have enough money, they're not treating you well, you're just content, discontent, discontent, we breed it. Discontent at home, right? The husband's discontent with his wife and the respect she's given, and the wife is discontent with the intimacy and love from her husband. The father's discontented with life in the home. The mother's discontented with the place God has assigned her or discontented in the church. I would like to be this. I would like to be that. I'd like to have this recognition. I'd, why can't he do that? Why can't she do that? Discontent, 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 discontent. I think verses 4 to 11 kind of put a stake in that. It just burns it down. God is absolutely sovereign over his church. He assigns each member their place, giving them what they need for that place and calls them to be content in that place and do as much good in that place as they can. That's it. In fact, this is one of the underlying principles of getting more responsibility in the church. Just be content with what you have and do really good there. The way that a man qualifies to be an elder is by being first content as a husband and a father and doing really well there. So then people in the church can say, man, if he shepherds his own kids like that, wow, he's going to do a good job in the church. Why don't you you be a shepherd for us here? Right? Or a, a young mother, is she does all the difficult work of mothering and then grows in it and, and by God's grace does fairly well at it. When she's older in the church, the younger women look up to her then. Now, it is not wrong to desire to do more good. There's also a failure in our world of apathy and laziness and a desire to strive for more. We, we should do that too. But here, I just, I just want to get at the discontentedness. discontentedness. You aren't content with the part God has assigned you, so there's always more. I think this is especially true among younger moms and dads. They aren't content in the fatherhood and motherhood, and so they're looking for more outside of the home, neglecting the great and high calling of God in the home and how important it is for you and I to raise our children in the Lord so we can multiply. We die to ourselves. We die giving ourselves away to our kids. We wear ourselves out so when we're 60 and the kids are grown, we just don't have much left. And seeing that as the great good that it is. But th- this can go beyond that. So verse 11 brings us back to our central point, and I promise I will get to verses 8 to 10 next week for those of you who... Um, can't restrain your curiosity and can't wait to have an argument with me or to tell me how I am right. I encourage that. (laughs) So verse 11 concludes it well. Let's just read it. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Can't we be content with that? Let's pray. Father, please help us now in this to be content with the place you have us, the activity, the 
the gifts you've given us there. We, we do want uh, we, we to be important. Help us to see our importance there. We want to feel useful. Help us to see our usefulness there. Help us to restrain ourselves and do really well where you've placed us. Not worrying about the next thing, not worrying about advancement, but being content to be used of you where we're at and to do the best we can there. And so God, help us there that we might glorify you and build up your church. Um, God, we give you glory for the people here, glory for the gifts and activities and services you've given us here. Uh, and ask that then you would use us to build each other up for the common good. So give us a heart for those things. In Jesus' name, amen.